Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. I'm glad to be here with you all today. Uh, just a short aside before I begin my message, uh, I am doing some research with uh, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary on the experience of immigration and how churches can help people who have undergone an immigration experience. So if you have experienced immigration yourself, your parents have, or even your grandparents have, I'd encourage you to whip out your phone, uh, scan this QR code, because I want your feedback, because this I think will help churches support people who are strangers in this land better. Uh, there's three commandments of you shall love in the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God as yourself, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you shall love the foreigner who is among you. And so we want to do that better, and so please help me out here. I'd love if you, uh, if you have anybody in your life who's experienced that. It'll take you about 15 minutes to do that, so don't be taking the survey during my sermon, or I'll know because I review these results. Thank you for that. I appreciate you guys helping me out with that. And I'd also like to say a very happy birthday to Lindsay. It's my mission to embarrass the Rouse at every turn that I can. So I won't tell you her age. That's not polite. Okay. Well, I'm delighted to be able to share God's word with all you guys today. Pastor Paul sends his best. He, he'll be back uh, next Sunday. He's been in Israel leading all the pastors in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. He does educational tours there twice a year. And so uh, he's been there to kind of give them an educational background on the Bible. Uh, but he'll be back in the saddle next week. He's looking forward to it. And uh, I'm glad that I can be here in his stead today. Uh, all of you have a little communion cup with you. You got that when you came in. I'm going to ask you to hold on to that until the end of today's service. And if you didn't get one, don't worry. I'll have the ushers pass them out at the end of service. Uh, but we're going to do communion at the end together, uh, at the end of the sermon. But this morning, I wanted to talk with you about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'd intended to share about something else, but I, I felt led to teach about this one last spiritual discipline. Uh, it's been one of the most valuable spiritual disciplines in my own personal life, and it's a practice that I hope you learn to develop this year for yourselves. It's the spiritual discipline of confession. Now, as a few of you may know, I'm, I'm training to be a therapist. Counseling and theology are both passions of mine. I love helping people begin a new journey. I love helping people rewrite their stories. And part of the reason why I believe therapy is so therapeutic for so many is because it enables you to execute this spiritual discipline without even knowing it's spiritual. You get to be in a place where you can confess without the fear of being rejected. And that is a powerful image of what grace is like. When you expect rejection and instead you're met with acceptance. That's a powerful image of what grace is. Uh, in therapy, it's called unconditional positive regard, popularized by Carl Rogers. In the gospel, it's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. Both mean this, that God looks at you with acceptance 
because of the work of his son Jesus, the evil or sinful part of you no longer has control and power over you, and God no longer looks at you through the lens of the evil side of you. Instead, he looks at you through the lens of his son. When he regards you or considers you, it's through the lens of Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees the goodness of Christ. And that's the doctrine of justification. That's what it means to be justified or made righteous in the sight of God. And that's what we sung about this morning, that we stand on the righteousness of Christ. So I say that to say this. When we practice spiritual disciplines, we are not earning God's favor. That's already been given to us. Spiritual, spiritual disciplines are not earning God's favor. They are what it looks like to live a new life. They're the evidence that you're alive, that you're breathing. They are not the, the way to earn the Christian life. Instead, they're the way to maintain the Christian life. And that is a distinction, uh, an important distinction, because otherwise you'll forever be on the hamster wheel wondering if you're good with God. One of the ways that you maintain this Christian life is through confession. And if you haven't been a Christian for long, let me assure you that we still sin as Christians. Anybody want to pretend that they don't out there? Okay, if you, if you haven't been in the church for long, let me assure you, we're imperfect, but you can be both imperfect and righteous at the same time. Those things are not mutually exclusive, as we're going to see today. We're going to be reading from Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is one of my favorites because it shows us what good confession looks like. Uh, King David, who wrote this psalm, was a man very familiar with the need to be forgiven. He's killed, he's murdered, he's cheated, he's arrogant at times, and yet he was called a man after God's own heart, according to the scriptures, because he didn't dress his evil up as something other than what it was, something less offensive. He confessed it. And that's humility. The opposite of humility is pride. Pride is your biggest enemy when confessing because it distorts your view of yourself. It lets you justify yourself rather than taking ownership of your wrongdoing. Psalm 32 shows us a pattern for practicing good confession. And so let's take some time and let's read it together this morning. Again, that's Psalm 32. You can either follow along on the screen, you could listen to me read, you could follow along in your own Bible, whichever you prefer. Psalm 32, we're going to start in verse 1 and read all the way through. So let's do that together. A Moscow of David, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. 
Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surround the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Father, thank you for your word. Today, I pray that you'd be high and lifted up like a serpent in the wilderness. I pray that all of us who look to you would be healed. And God, today, I pray that as you hide me behind the cross, I pray that you would be lifted up, that people who look to you would be made whole. And we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, your son. Amen. I'm not a big crier. Um, I think a lot of men struggle with that. Not all, but a lot. Uh, my wife and in-laws are definitely criers, and, uh, which I wasn't used to when we started dating. Uh, many of you perhaps remember a more somber version of Pastor Dylan. Just a few months ago, Vivian, one of our grief share leaders, said to me, Pastor Dylan, it's good to see you happy lately. <laughs> she also said to me, it's good to see you putting on weight, so thanks, Viv. Now I definitely need therapy. But uh, I won't mention whose fault the weight gain is. Anyway, uh, the times I really broke down and cried before meeting my wife really stand out to me. She's transformed me into a crier. But I, there were times before when, man, they just stick out in my memory. And one of them was at a three-day group therapy meeting. It was one of the most incredible experiences in my life. My therapist recommended it to, to me. I recommend it to anyone who wants to do something like that. It's basically where a bunch of men get together and share their feelings. And you can imagine how lively that is. It's not at all. It was silent. It was stoic for the first bit. And my therapist uh, gave each of us a bit of homework one night. He said to us something along the lines of this. Tonight, I want each of you to write down every bad thing that's happened to you and every bad thing you've ever done, and tomorrow you're going to share it in front of five other guys. You'll each have an hour to speak. I want you to be as honest as you can. You'll only get out of this what you put into it. And I'm sure, like me, just the thought of that starts to make you sweat. Because it turns out, whether you're a crier or not, you can't talk about this stuff without losing it. And I stood in front of five other men, who I still talk to occasionally, and I sobbed my eyes out as I told my story. I grieved things that, like I never did before. I disclosed myself in a way I was afraid to. I experienced both the terror and the freedom that goes along with confession. Christianity, when properly engaged in, is about ruthless self-honesty. And that's one of the scariest things for us, man or woman. Verses 1 and 2 show us that the kind of person God blesses is honest. Listen to it. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That's what we talked about earlier. Justified in the sight of God. However, he adds this. In whose spirit there is no deceit. Notice that just like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, it doesn't tell us, do this and then you'll be blessed. Rather, it's a description. It says, here's the kind of person that God blesses. It's really not a commandment, it's a description. David is describing the kind of person upon whom God's blessing will rest. Particularly in verse 2, David says that this kind of person has a spirit without deceit. And how many of us can honestly claim that? David couldn't. I'd venture to say that there's nobody here that can. If you can, please email me. I'd like to know your secrets. 
And yeah, you may not lie outrightly, but you bend the truth a little bit to paint yourself in a more favorable light. You omit certain important details to make sure the story favors you a little bit more. Deceit in your spirit does not just mean lying. It means the kind of posture that wiggles away from the light, the kind of disposition that tries to manipulate to ensure a more favorable outcome. It's the kind of person who doesn't have a regard for what's honorable, just, or good. And I long, above all things, to be found as a blessed man, a deceit-free man, an honorable man, a loving man. But as the Stoic philosopher Seneca said, there is no easy path from the earth to the stars, and as a wise preacher once said, the longest journey in life is the road between the head and the heart. I think every person within the sound of my voice recognizes what some psychologists call the shadow self, what the scriptures call the old self, and what we commonly call our dark side. There is a disconnect, a dissonance between our real and ideal selves. And there is no shortage of philosophies telling you what to do with that. My hope is that you learn to face it. If you get one thing from my words today, I hope it's this. Confession is hard, silence is lethal, but freedom is worth it. Listen to verses three and four. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat in summer. Things kept in darkness start to eat away at you. They rot you from the inside out. They decay you. I don't want to be that kind of person. And I don't think that you do either. Confession is difficult, but silence erodes you and eventually it will kill you. The past couple of weeks, uh, Sienna Lemos has been uh, helping out at the church during the week. She's been offering her time, helping with lots of things. Uh, yeah, we, I really appreciate Sienna and anybody who comes in during the week and gives of their time, but my wife Monica was working here from the office this week, and, and her and Monica were talking about what my apartment was like before we were married. <laughs> Heads up, it was not pretty. Monica, when she was challenged to describe it with one word, says, close your ears, Dylan. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't close my ears. In particular, I had a very interesting refrigerator. Uh, the light bulbs were out in it, and I never replaced them because I barely ever used it, so why would I waste money on refrigerator light bulbs? Doesn't make sense. About six months before Monica and I met, I made a vegetable stew in the crock pot. I then put said stew in the refrigerator, thinking that I would eat it eventually. And her and I cleaned it out when she was moving in a year and a half later. Listen, it had gone beyond mold. It had crystallized, okay? I could have sold those things on Etsy to a new age crystal believer. I don't even know what they use crystals for. Uh, I, by the way, I didn't even know food could form crystals, but FYI, it can. It's a miracle I'm married. There's hope for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as disgusting as that is, that is what unconfessed sin is like in your life. It sits in the dark. It poisons everything. You can ignore it for a while, but you have to deal with it eventually. David talks about it with some different poetic imagery. He says things like this, my bones wasted away, 
where the heavy hand of God seemed to always be on my shoulder, or it was like a dry summer heat sucking the moisture out of me. Unconfessed sin decays, it presses on us like a heavy burden, it dries us up like a summer day without water. Those are some of the pictures we get. Sin is only powerful, though, if it's secret. If it's secret, it has power over you. But if you confess it to God and to others, it loses its strength. You can't treat sin like an imperishable food item or it will start to smell. I'm speaking from experience. Eventually, a wound that is left to fester will kill you. You will go spiritually septic because silence is lethal. Make no mistake, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, how do you do that? How do you put to death the things in you by the Spirit? What, what does that even mean? Well, one of those ways is confession. 1 John 1, 9 says it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you catch that? Whether you're a Christian or not, you have sins to confess. And if you'll have the bravery and faith to confess them, God will cleanse them and forgive you. But if you hold them inside, like David, God's hand will be heavy upon you. Your bones will waste away. You'll wander in desert places with no water. And eventually, if only spiritually, you will die. Do you see why confession is essential? Because it humbles us. It makes us take a look at ourselves as we really are, not as we wish we were. And like me, maybe that means you tell your story between sobs. Maybe you'll grieve in ways you never thought possible, but that's part of healing. It can't begin, though, if you hold it inside. And if you're a man, we're particularly bad at talking about what's actually happening, happening in our lives. That's why I encourage you to come out to something like the men's breakfast. You, you don't have to dump all your issues out on the table to make a few friends that you can text and say, hey man, I'm really going through X. I could use prayer for Y. Would you be praying with me? That's a simple way to reach out for support. You can begin to share your real self instead of the fake, idealized, polished version of yourself at church. But what does it look like to confess? You might say, I'm constantly apologizing to God and I don't seem to get any better. What am I doing wrong? Well, hang on a moment, follow with me. Listen to verses five and six. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you, offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. The best way to prepare yourself for a race is to train beforehand. You don't walk into a fight without training. Pastor Kev's a boxer. He trains every other day or so. I mean, multiple times a week. You don't walk into a fight without training. Verse 6 reminds us that we shouldn't be rushing to God in moments of crisis, but rather we should be asking God to prepare us for the crisis. 
And verse 7 elaborates on this a little bit. It says this, You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Well, who shouts? I mean, certainly God's. But who else? Doesn't the New Testament say that when one sinner turns to God, the angels in heaven rejoice? And doesn't the the church itself certainly rejoice when people enter the family of God like we did last week here? James 5.16, in my opinion, is probably one of the most helpful verses in the entire scriptures, at least the New Testament. It says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Now follow me here. God is able to shelter you from the storm in verse 7 because you're surrounded with shouts of deliverance. What's that mean? It means that you're surrounded by people who know what you've been delivered from, who join you in praise to remind your soul why you're blessing God in the first place, to remind you where you've been taken out of so that you don't return to it like a dog to its vomit. And of course, you need to confess your sins to the Lord. People around you can't free you and forgive you, but they can pray for you. And people's prayers are sometimes the conduit through which God chooses to work. They're the place where God chooses to show up sometimes. And how can you be surrounded with shouts of deliverance if God is the only one who knows what you've been delivered from? Now, I'm not suggesting you simply come confess to a minister. You're certainly welcome to do that with me or others if you want. That's the practice of the Roman Catholic Church. When I say confession, some of you think sitting down with a priest with the little grate and the priest telling you to say four Our Fathers, six Hail Marys, and then you're absolved of sin. But we Protestants threw the baby out with the bathwater. It's recorded as early as the second century of church history that Christians would come to confess their sins in church, just like they do other things, the same way that we would come and worship and sing songs, preach sermons, do baptisms, take communion. One of the exercises every week, in fact, before any of the other exercises, was confession of sin. Now, oftentimes, churches were smaller in those days, so talking about your sins in a house church with 10 people is a lot less intimidating than me standing somebody up here and saying, all right, give us the dirty laundry, okay? it's not where we're going with this. In fact, the Didache, which is the earliest Christian document outside of the New Testament, it was written about 100 years after the book of Acts, said that every church service, you should confess your sins to one another before you pray so that you're not praying with an afflicted conscience. Other bishops in the early church, like Basil of Caesarea, made sure confession was done in a more intimate environment, maybe what we would call small groups, but it still required it to take place. Uh, Later, the Roman Catholic Church formalized it under Pope Leo the Great, and he said we only have to now confess our sins to a priest because they're the physician of the soul, so to speak. And Protestants reacted against that, and here we are today with no confession. But I have to ask, are we really any better off? Uh, In high school, a friend of mine, who wasn't religious or spiritual at all, uh, walked into a Catholic church one day, sat down for confession, and came out weeping their eyes out. At least Catholics have some confession. And we seem to think it's sufficient to whisper something in our minds to ourselves and be done with it. And is it any wonder that sometimes we lack such spiritual vitality in life?
Have you seen the freedom that's possible when other believers listen to your sins, embrace you, dispense mercy to you, tell you that the worst things about you are not who you are, and surround you with shouts of deliverance? Because if you've never experienced that, it's life-changing. Dr. Timothy Keller, a pastor in Manhattan, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, said it this way, to be known but not loved is our greatest fear. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. But to be fully known and fully loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us of all our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. That is what confession can do in your life. It lets people see all the good, the bad, and the ugly. It, it allows people to see the real you with warts and all. So don't rob yourself of real connection by presenting a half version of yourself or a counterfeit version of yourself. Because even if you're loved, in that case, it's only superficial. Because they don't know the real you. Now listen, I'm not advocating that you start walking around after church and confessing your sins to every person in here. That would be weird. Don't do that. But if you've sinned against a friend, go make it right. And if you're struggling against a sin alone in your life, and you've been coming up against it again and again and again, and you can't seem to get free of this thing that's got a grip on you, then invite somebody else in and let them shine a light on a place that seems hopelessly dark because when somebody can look at you and say that you're not irreparably broken and say I know what you're going through suddenly you are instilled with faith if you're struggling alone against a sin invite somebody else in I know that some of you have been hurt in the past I know that churches can sometimes be painful and do this really, really wrong. But I hope you remember that confession is hard, silence is lethal, but freedom is worth it. For those of you with church pain, allow me to speak gently to you for a moment. I like to write. It's one of my passions. I'm currently in my very limited free time working on uh, my first fiction novel, I've published a couple of short stories in the past, and I really enjoy just writing about different worlds and pulling people in. Writing is one of my passions. One of my inspirations, like many others in this regard, is, is C.S. Lewis. Uh, in his book, Four Loves, he says this, and I think it's relevant for those of you who are trying to confess but are experiencing the pain of how you've been rejected in the past. Listen to this. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and anxieties of love is hell. 
I'm not going to stand here and lie to you. I'm not going to pretend that you finally arrived at the perfect church with people who will always understand you and never harm you. Not even your family or your parents could manage that. I'm not going to sell this expression of the body of Christ as the perfect reflection of God. It isn't. But it's a pretty good start. I can promise you that here you'll likely be misunderstood, hurt, rejected, sometimes frustrated, but God has always worked those things into the plan of his church. He said, Paul the Apostle says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 19. He says, There must be factions and divisions among you that those who are genuine might be proven to be so. Confession isn't always perfectly safe. You're not going to feel always perfectly understood, and sometimes it's going to leave you feeling exposed and vulnerable instead of accepted because people's reaction isn't always what you'd hope. Do it anyway. You prove yourself to be among those who are genuine in Paul's words. You stay vulnerable in loving, in Lewis's words, and you stay honorable in God's estimation. It doesn't matter if people understand your struggle. It matters that you live honestly with your struggle because I can promise you here, we're not a perfect team of elders and pastors, but we will do our best to steward your hearts with love. I can promise you that this church is not filled with perfect people, but it is filled with people who are seeking after the heart of God so you can take a risk and trust them with yours. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The end of David's psalm is a contrast. It's a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. And he says this, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the righteous, they shout for joy in the uprightness of their heart. If you conceal your evil deeds, they'll give you sorrow. That's all they ever can give to you. They take and they take and they take. But if you confess your sins, you can be like David. He's not a perfect person, but he's a redeemed one. He's both confessing his sin and rejoicing that he's been delivered from sin. He's both kinds of people, and every Christian is both kinds of people. We all have a shadow self to defeat, and a new self to nurture. We have an old man to kill and a new man to bring to life. We have a dark side to resist and a light side to feed. We must choose which person to become. Each of your sins is also an opportunity. An opportunity to prove yourself a child of God by the way you handle your failures the same way that you would handle your successes, and that is by bringing them to God and by bringing them to your brothers and sisters in Christ because you refuse to dwell in darkness when darkness is inside of you. Instead, you choose God and say, God, here it is. One of my favorite repentance verses comes out of Micah 7. It says, Rejoice not over me, my enemy, because when I sit in darkness, there the Lord will grab me, and he will bring me up once more. Your sins are opportunity. So don't be afraid to face the evil that's inside of you, because freedom is worth it. 
Confession is a spiritual discipline that you're never going to regret at the end of your life. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, once said this, a man that flies from his fears may find in the end that he's only taken a shortcut to meet them. Don't be afraid to ask for help for those who are around you in order to face yourself because you no longer have to hide yourself in sin because you've taken shelter in the Most High. You don't need to pretend you've been liberated from the power of sin. And even if all people can do is pray for you when you tell them, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And it's better to have one person gathered with you to fight sin than to be fighting it alone. Because Deuteronomy 32 says, if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. There is an exponential factor when you invite other people into your struggle and you can start to resist because more people equals more light and more prayer equals more power and you have the ability to conquer sin instead of it continually conquering you. The more light that you shed on the darkest parts of your heart, you will have a promise from God. And that is this, that he will not count your sin against you. He'll give you mercy. Confession is hard. Silence is lethal, but freedom is worth it. As the worship team returns I want you to have your communion elements ready. If you didn't receive one of these as you walked in, you could just keep your hand in the air. The ushers will get this to you in just a moment. You keep it up there until they grab that for you. You know, sometimes people say to me, have you ever said this to your pastor? Pastoring must be so hard. It must be such a lonely calling. (laughs) And I can't help but laugh a little bit inside. Because it doesn't matter what role you lead in life, living is hard and it's lonely. Can anybody testify to that? But it's only as lonely as I'm willing to tolerate. The best way that I know to live is in vulnerability with God and with others. I'm not sure about you, but it feels like almost every day of my life can seem sometimes like a battle. And I only fight it if I fight it together with others. If I lock shields with others, if I lock arms with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the only way that I know to defeat sin. I have friends, uh, a few friends that I do this with. Some of them are a part of this church, some of them aren't, but the body of Christ is bigger than any one church. But we'll call each other every couple of weeks. I have a friend that I talk to almost every day. I text him. I'm like, here's what I'm going through, bro. Here's what's happening in my life. Here's a way that you can pray for me. How can I pray for you? Every, almost every day. This coming week, I have a get-together with a group of young pastors that, you know, maybe once a quarter we get together, we support each other, we just pray for one another, talk about our lives. We all need that. I want that for all of you. Because if I didn't have that, I would definitely be a man who dwells in darkness, not in light. I don't care how ugly you think your sin is. I don't care how far beyond hope you feel. 
I, I don't care how unique you feel in your sins. Let me assure you of this. Paul the Apostle said this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And with that temptation, God will provide a way of escape. There is nothing in you that should be so shameful that you cannot share it in the body of Christ. And if you share it and somebody shames you, that's probably because they got a whole load of issues that they're not willing to unload. So share it. If you feel scared, do it anyway. Because if I didn't, I'd go crazy. Keeps me in the light. Even if it's just somebody for you, just like me, to reach out to and shoot a text to. And partly, that's what this little cup and this bread represents. We're joined together as the body of Christ. We are collectively called right here the body of Christ. And so I don't want to be separated from the rest of the body while merely taking part in this little ceremony, this little ritual or symbol. I want this to be spiritual and I want this to be actual. I want to be connected to the body. So as you take communion, I want you to think of what you and what, what sins, rather, you need to bring to God. You know what they are. And as you take it, as you're taking part in the body of Christ, becoming part of the family of God freshly, as you take it, commit to just texting somebody this week and saying, hey, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm going through. Could you pray for me occasionally? Could I check in with you occasionally for what I'm dealing with? And I promise you, that may not make your life sunshine and rainbows, but it will lead to progress. Proverbs chapter 4 says this, The path of the righteous is like noonday. It, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until it's standing over in the sky. And sometimes my life feels like twilight. It feels like right at the beginning where I can't quite see yet. There's not enough light here. I can't make out what's right in front of me. But God's promise is that I, if I keep walking, the path gets brighter and it gets brighter and it gets brighter. But the only way light is shed into the path is if you let it in. So let's make this something that connects us. Also, as you take this, I want to remind you of the blessing of confession. We heard it in verse 2, but we pass over it so easily. The reason you can confess without fear of judgment is this. Verse 2, the Lord counts no iniquity against you. That's amazing news. That helps me face myself because I know that God is no longer out to get me and forget me. Instead, God is out to help me and transform me. I don't need to fear the wicked parts of me anymore. I can make peace with them because I know that they no longer are determinants of my destiny. Instead, they are grave markers of who I used to be, and I can bring them to God and say, help me. The Lord will not hold your sins against you. And that should give you all the confidence to come forward and confess what you need to. To share what needs to be shared, to be vulnerable in the areas that you need to be vulnerable, to lock arms in a fight like you need to instead of standing alone. You and I can have the courage to do what would otherwise crush us because Jesus has already been crushed for us. And now we can live in the light. 
Confession is hard, yeah. Silence would kill me, absolutely. But freedom is worth it. So we're going to take a look both backward and forward today to the sin that's behind us that is no longer counted against us and maybe even the sin that's ahead of us, but it can be defeated if we face it with the Lord Jesus and with our brothers and sisters. It will not have dominion over you. That's what Romans chapter 6 says. Sin will have no dominion, meaning no control over you anymore because you're not under law, you're now under grace. Because God has forgiven you, sin no longer has power over you. And if you invite your sin into the light, it loses all of its secret power and sway. And so you can stand a free man and woman, unashamed, to say, I know what I used to be, but it's not what I have to be. And so I want you to take this body that's been broken for you. And this body is not only what's been broken for you, it's what connects you. It divides our sins and connects us to one another. It's both, broken that you might be made whole. And as you take this body, I wanna remind you that you are not alone, that your sins are not unique and that you are not uniquely wicked. You are forgiven. And so reach out to a brother or sister and say, here's what I need prayer for. These are the sins I'm fighting. Would you pray with me and help me? Let's take this body together as we remember his broken body to make us whole. And in the same way, this blood unites us. My uh, best friend, the one I text every day, we pray together often, likes to say this. Spirit runs thicker than blood. And what he means by that is the spirit of this blood runs thicker than even a family's blood. This forgives us and makes us one new, one new people, one new family in the family of Christ Jesus. And so don't divide yourself from the body actually while only taking part of it spiritually. Reach out and remind yourself that your sins don't have to defeat you if you stay in the light and this blood cleanses you from all sin. Let's take it together. You're only as free as you are honest. And I pray that you can find the courage and faith to confess whatever it is you need to today because it doesn't have to have dominion and power over you anymore. If you'd like to take a step to do that and confess, I want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to invite pastors, elders, leaders, if you're on staff, whatever, uh, please come here, line these altars. Maybe you need this today. Maybe you need someone to surround you with a shout of deliverance today. Maybe you need not just to unburden yourself, you need to invite somebody else into yourself today to know what's going on deep down inside and say, here's what my struggle is. Would you pray for me? You see, I don't think the Catholics got it wrong. I just think the Catholics are incomplete. I think your sins need to be confessed, sure, to a minister, but yes, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe you want the opportunity to do that today.
let me say this. There is absolutely no shame in confessing your sins. And if you're looking around thinking, what are people going to think of me? Who's going to care? Let me assure you of this. The Bible says that God honors those who honor him and do not care about the honor of man. Maybe you need to place yourself vulnerably out in front of the altar and say, God, here's my sins. Here's what I'm dealing with. Would you please help me? And I can promise you that is a kind of step that pleases God because he cares about those who care for him. So maybe you need to take that step today. And let me assure you, if anybody looks at you with shame, it's because they haven't got a grip on their own sin yet. And the ugly, sneaky one of pride can get us. So don't be afraid. Confess what you need to confess. And God will not count it against you. No longer do you have to hide in your sins because you have taken shelter in the Most High God. Let's worship together. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you and God bless.